Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, fellas? Hey, buddy. Hey, guys. Great back to at be it. together. We are. How's everybody? Buddy, it's been a good week off um, here. Just got back from Israel and plugging back in with the family. It's great to be home. Awesome. Well, we got uh, Shriners coming up this week on the PGA Tour. Um, both of y'all have some memories from Shriners. Who wants to tell us about some some favorite memories from Las Vegas? Man, I, I don't know about favorite memories. I got, I got a memory from Shriners playing well in the tournament. It's Thursday. Um, I'm on my 18th hole. Hit it left in that cave over there, which is just you want to cut the corner so much, and you know you just kind of like nick the toe. It it starts peeling, and you're like, get a good bounce, get a good bounce. It doesn't get good bounces over no. there. I get down in there. I'm like, ah, maybe I can play it. Get down in there. It's kind of between some rocks, but um, working on, you know, like, okay, maybe I could advance it out there. And I'm down there, and, you know, you're, you're in a, the hazard area. And, you know, when you're in a hazard area, you can, you know, touch the grass type of stuff. You just can't ground your club. And I, that's the old rule. I guess the new rule, you can. But right. I'm down there, and, um, and so I'm kind of looking up where I'm hitting the shot. And as I'm looking up, you know, my club kind of nicks one of the rocks and don't think anything of it at the time. And then I get hit my shot out, get it back out in the fairway, end up having a good round. I, now, Friday, someone um, hits a wayward shot on 18, a rules official comes up, and it's just kind of on my mind for some reason. Like, it pops into my mind like, hey, you need to make sure that if you nick a rock, same way you nick some grass and all that, that it's not a penalty. So as the rules official deals with my playing partner, I I just ask the question like, hey, if you nick a rock when you're in there, it's just the same thing, right? Like it's it's no big deal. You um, you know, because I haven't officially like grounded my club. I've just and he says, No, that's actually um a penalty. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, well that means I signed an incorrect scorecard. And so I signed my scorecard Friday, go into the rules office, and he says, look, Ben, if we start this conversation, I said, hey, Fabes, I'm totally aware of the consequences that after we have this conversation is going to be disqualification. Um, if it goes where I think it's going to go. I'm told, But the right thing is the right thing. The truth is the truth. So we have the conversation, and I have technically grounded my club, it's a penalty. I've signed an incorrect scorecard, and I've had I have to take myself withdraw or disqualified from the tournament. And I was having a good tournament, so that was a difficult thing to do, but um, it was the right thing to do. I can't believe touching the rock then was a penalty. I mean, number one, you're not grounding it, and two, you didn't move the rock. Both true, and hey, and you can't really test the surface of a rock. We all know what a surface <laughs> of a rock is like. <laughs> I'm glad they changed that. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. All right, Weber. I know you got a fun story about you and Polly, and you got a little tradition there at Shriners. Yeah, we got a tradition. So we always take our morning. Polly is uh, Webb's time. caddy. Yeah, Polly's my caddy. And you always play late, early, or early, late Thursday, Friday. And our early round, we always pick out a movie to go see that afternoon. But on the way, uh, in, the, in the actual uh, hotel, has the casino and the movie theater. And we play a little blackjack, and we always say the biggest winner or the smallest loser has to pick up the movie ticket, the popcorn, and the drink. Most of the time, smallest loser. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so we're playing one year, 
and I'm about flat. I'm I'm ready to be done. We got to go. Polly's up eight hundred bucks, and so I say, buddy, you go cash out. I'm gonna go to the restroom. I'll meet you back here. So I come out of the restroom, and Polly's not in the spot we said to meet. And I find him standing beside a roulette table, <laughs> and when we when we locked eyes, he just shook his head. Which for Polly, that that head shake is utter disappointment. And I can tell he's thinking, why did I do this? So I go over. I'm thinking maybe he lost a hundred, two hundred bucks. And um, he said it was nine blacks in a row, so he put it on red, and it was black again, and he kept putting it on red until he lost all of his money that he won, and he was in the hole. So <laughs> I went from flat to free movie and all that. To, I paid for everything, but Polly learned his lesson. When you're up, get out of there. That's amazing. You yeah. got to just take it and run. You got to take it and run. And Weber, you've won at, uh, you've won at Shriners? Yeah, 2013. Um that was, uh, yeah, that was back when like a 68 was a good score there. I mean, two years ago, Colin Morikawa was playing with him. He shot six under for two days, and he made like a couple birdies coming in, and I said, man, great great grinding to get it done. And the cut was seven under, so he missed the cut. No. Wow. Uh, so, th- I mean, man, things are changing there. But this week will be interesting because uh, they told me they redid the fairways and some of the drainage and all that. So they said it's really firm. And they've struggled kind of with, you know, some softness and mud balls the last few years. So scores might be a little worse this year. Yeah. And a shout out to our friend Jonathan Bird. Got one of the best accomplishments in golf history there at Shriners. Walk off hole in one to win in a playoff. I mean, right right before dark, just, you know, (laughs) looks like we're going to have another day of golf, come back out for the playoff, and he just aces. (laughs) The seventeenth hole, and he got a plaque. He's he's his plaque is forever on the seventeenth tee. So and, good. And to top it all off, he gets a hug from Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he loved that. Uh, you know, I bet he thinks about it often. Yeah, a little, yeah. little bro hug from Timberlake. Yeah, yeah. All right, boys. Well, we're we're continuing our series, Meet Jesus today. Um, we're going to be in the end of. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. And if you've been listening for a while, you know what we've been doing is going through the Gospel of Luke, looking at different encounters that Jesus has with different people. And the reason we're doing that is because the Bible says there's nothing more important in the whole world than knowing God. Um, But we can't know Him unless He reveals Himself to us. And that's what He's done in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God in bodily form. Uh, And the Word is perfectly recorded, who He is and what He's come to do. And so by looking at Jesus in the Word, we really can get to know God. And the good news for us, as we've said each week, is because He's the same yesterday and today and forever. The way that we see Him care for people and relate to people and talk to people and help people is the same way that He wants to relate to us. So we get to see that again today with a guy named Jairus and a woman who's been sick for quite some time and a little girl it's just a wonderful little passage so Weber will you pray for our our time that God would open our eyes to behold awesome things in his word and then Ben you can read for us I will Father thank you for yet another opportunity to get into your word thank you for the gospel of Luke thank you for his uh, just careful consideration of what he saw and how he wrote this great letter Um, so Lord I pray that as we get into the word the word would get in us Um, that it would change us, that we would have a fresh appreciation for not only who you are, but what you've done for us. Um, Lord, we know that the gospel saves us, but it also strengthens us. I pray we draw strength from your word today. And to the listeners, Lord, 
uh, to newcomers today. We pray that you would um, just show them how great you are, uh, that they would come to know you. Uh, that is our ultimate hope, that people come to know you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, boys, jumping in here. What a privilege it is that we have to read God's word together. All right, so Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40 to the end of the chapter. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of a synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed in around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power had gone out from me. And when the, women, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down, before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to not tell anyone what had happened. All right. Thanks, buddy. Um, okay, so let's just pick up in, in verse 40 and remember where we are. Um, how does Luke set the stage for us in verse 40? So Jesus had just returned. We know from um, he'd just gone on the trip to the Gerasenes, and he's just um, dealt with the man who had many demons in him. Exactly. And so now he's back. Right. And everybody's ready for him to be back. There's a crowd that welcomes him there. They're all been waiting for him. Um, and so Jesus approaches this crowd. And what happens next in verses 41 and 42? Who are we introduced to? Jairus. Yeah. And he's a ruler and of the synagogue and, and um, he's got a big problem. His daughter is sick. He's probably he's obviously a very important man. Um, he's got resources, he's got access to all types of people, but his daughter is dying. So at this point, he's, he's certainly looking to Jesus as his last and only hope. Yes. Yeah, and you can see his desperation because he fell at Jesus' feet. Could have been respect of Jesus, could have been desperation, could have been both. Yeah, well said by both of y'all. I, you know, I think it's important to note, Ben, you got us going down this track already. We're told right away, this guy's got a name. 
that shows his importance. Luke names mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. He's also a ruler of the synagogue. So he's a big dog in one of these little towns of Galilee, right? He's probably revered in society. Um, he's a dignified man. He's an important man. He's a known man. And like y'all are saying, he's in a desperate spot. And we see his desperation by how he behaves in front of Jesus. He falls down at his feet and he begs him, Hmm. right? Because he's got a 12-year-old girl that he loves who is at the very end of her life. Mm -hmm. Okay? So he pleads with Jesus. And real quick, knowing this man's place in society and knowing the way that the Jews were starting to react and relate to Jesus, like, you think this was a risky move for Jairus? Certainly, because he wants to protect his name, and he's certainly not falling down. He certainly, you know, probably doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. So I think it's a risky move on being associated with Jesus at this point, and also the the way that he falls down is not a respectable thing, you know, um, in those days. Um, so he's he's really throwing himself everything in with Jesus saying, and just in hope. Exactly. This is his last shot, right? Mm-hmm. And he's doesn't care what anybody thinks. This is his last shot. Yeah. And how does Jesus respond? First, first little phrase, three sentence or three word phrase of that next paragraph. As Jesus went, he went with him, right? Mm, real yep. simple, real matter of fact, Jesus responds hmm. to this guy's faith. So off they go as this crowd is pressing in mm-hmm. all around them. Okay, and before we go to the next verse, let's just get in Jairus' sandals here for a minute. Uh, what do you think he's thinking as he and Jesus start to walk together? Let's not slow down. Okay. I mean, he's probably thinking her life could end at any moment. And so he's probably, you know, almost hand on Jesus' back saying like, come on, come on. All right, thank you. Now let's let's go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I don't have a thought for Jairus, but I do want to note, like, I'm already seeing my sinfulness and selfishness through this because who knows how long that journey was from the land of the Gerasenes. I mean, when I get back from a trip or ministry or anything, I want some me time. And as soon as his feet hit the ground, hmm. he's already back in ministry. No no me time for Jesus then. Yeah. Yeah, they were anxiously waiting for him. Right. Yeah, Totally. So Jesus goes, yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking, Jairus is thinking what you're thinking. Maybe there's this little ray of hope that's, you know, who knows? This is my last chance. You know, objective one, we can check that off. But he's not out of the woods yet, right? He's still got to get to his house. Jesus has got to do some miracle for him. So probably all kinds of mixed feelings going through his head as they rush through the crowds. But as they rush through the crowds, we're introduced to somebody else in verse 43. Who are we introduced to there? A woman who has a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay. <clears throat> so it's been over a decade for this lady. This is not, a, it's not an emergency, certainly, right? This is a chronic condition that she's had for quite a while. Um, yeah. She's broke. She's broke. And why is she broke? She's tried everything to be healed by probably countless people. It's not worked. Yeah. So she, and she's gone to quality people too. You know, it says she spent all of her living on physicians, doctors. I mean, respected right. people. Like she's gone to all the right people, and no one could solve it. Right. Yeah. So here, here she comes, 
And she's got a little plan, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And, and what's her plan? She's going to try to touch his, his cloak, his garment. Yeah, and what's her hope? That she gets healed and doesn't get noticed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly both of those two things, right? She wants to get healed without being noticed, right? right? So that's just what she does in verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And when she did, her plan starts to work, right? The discharge of blood ceased. It stopped. She'd been sick for 12 years. She knew what it felt like to be well, and she felt it. Okay. She, she had finally arrived at the great physician himself. A hundred percent, right? But her plan is going to fall through here, the way that she wanted it to go down, the yeah. way that she wanted to just slip in and slip out mm-hmm. unnoticed. Uh, Jesus had more planned for her than she had planned for herself. Jesus stops her dead in her tracks by saying, who touched me? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and before we get there, let's just pause before the Lord turns and, and asks her that. In that moment that she feels her problem solved, what do you think she's feeling? Joy, excitement. I can carry on with my life. Yes. Yeah, probably amazed that it actually worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, almost like unbelief for joy. Like, are you yeah. really? You know? Um, so here she is with this quiet relief. And then what does Jesus say in 45? He's, he, he says, who touched me? He's like, wants the person to identify themselves, which is her worst fear at this moment. Yes, <laughs> totally. Joy to fear instantly. Instantly. Okay. Um, and what's Peter say? Are you kidding me? There's a crowd <laughs> pressing in around you. There's people touching you from all sides. <laughs> you know, your, your work is known and they were waiting for you from the shore like, a bunch of people touched you. Exactly. You're walking through the crowds on 18 at Augusta on Sunday afternoon. You're bumping into people every step you take. It's like, like Rory and Tiger walking up the, the 72nd hole at the FedEx Cup, was it, two years ago. Exactly. Like, There's right. people everywhere. Yeah. What do you mean? Who touched you? But Jesus reveals in verse 46, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So he he knows that his kind of healing power has been released on somebody, as it were. Um, and now, as he stops, right? So just, we want to get our, ourselves both in the woman's shoes and in Jairus's shoes, because all of a sudden, this is not going how either of them thought it should go, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's start with the woman. What do you think the woman is thinking as this procession to the man's house stops, the crowd stops, Jesus is looking around. He's asking questions. What's going through her head? She's exposed. Mm. She's, you know, this, this, this is probably an embarrassing disease and probably kept quiet, you know, at least among between her and her physicians she's seen. But now it's now she's fully exposed. She can't she can't hide. Yeah, I, I think that no, everyone in town probably knows who this is. That she's unclean, that she has a problem she this is a huge risk for her to even probably be around people and so now that everyone's going to be looking at her is just like her worst shameful nightmare yeah yeah super well said go ahead web and i was gonna say it reminds me of last week um when you know the herdsmen the people 
when Jesus sent the demons into the pigs, they were afraid. And I think there's an element here, particularly the way she's feeling about Jesus in the sense of she's, she just felt her problem stop. So she knows that this Jesus has, you know, she probably can't even clarify it, but crazy power. And so that's pro- that's probably a scary thing to come into contact with. I think in so. a good way. That's right. Yeah. And, and something that we probably should have clarified earlier, Ben helped us here is this woman wasn't just sick under the old Testament law. She's unclean, mm-hmm. right? If she had an ongoing discharge of blood, we know from the Mosaic law, Leviticus chapter 15, that she's not a, allowed to be around other people touching other people, not, not too dissimilar from the leper that we looked at a few weeks back. So right. she would have had an addition to her sickness, real shame and real isolation. And as she presses through this crowd to touch Jesus, what's she doing to those people? According to the law, making them, making unclean. them unclean. Yes. Yeah, so every person she touches to get to Jesus and even Jesus himself, if you could make him unclean, right? She's risking all of that. Mm-hmm. So now she's being found out. She's not able to fly under the radar anymore. Totally exposed, coming up against a power she's never been up against. That's why it um, makes so much sense that she, yeah, when she comes up behind him and only grabs the fringe of his. So everything she's doing is so careful to just slip in, slip out. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. So now let's hit pause on her. We're coming right back to her. What do you think Jairus is thinking? Because now we've stopped. Yep. And we've got a dialogue going on. And he mm. is in a hurry. What's going through mm-hmm. his mind? Man, I mean, if my daughter, Willow, at one point she needed stitches, I I felt like I had the right to jump the line at the ER for the 30 people that were sitting there. I mean, when you're a parent and your child is sick or hurt, you'll do anything. And you don't think about any person around you. You just want your child to be better. A lot of parents say that they're only doing as well as their, you know, their child that's struggling the most is doing, you know, right. because you're right. so hyper-focused on caring for them. And so in this situation, it was going as planned. And now all of a sudden there's a, there's a bump in the road where Jesus is talking to this unclean woman. He's not walking, actively walking, you know, to Jairus's house. And so he's like, are you kidding me? Like 12 years, like, can you wait 12 years in a day? totally right and i think it's also helped tim keller helped me see this when i was studying what he said about the passage if jesus was a physician in an emergency room you'd have lawsuit written all over this right because Mm. he's neglecting a critical acute Mm. patient that needs Mm -hmm. urgent care for a chronic condition that's been going on 12 years it could wait another Mm -hmm. day Mm -hmm. and and not, not to mention that, but notice how the Lord is just pressing up against all of our kind of cultural understandings. We know Jairus' name because he's a big dog, and he's the ruler of the synagogue. He's important in society. What's this woman named? Unknown. We don't know. Why? Mm-hmm. She's not important in society to them. Right. But Jesus slows down, <laughs> and he puts his attention on her, and you know what he's going to do for her? Um, something way better than she bargained for. And so what Mm. does he say to her? Um, 
Well, I, I guess he, he says this. We got to look at how she responds first. He says, power's gone out from me. And then what's verse 47 say? And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, so she's exposed, she came trembling and falling down before him. And all of a sudden, she's completely exposed. Who touched me? Yeah. And she has to acknowledge herself. Totally. And I love just the little phrase how it says, in the presence of all the people. Mm. <laughs> like there she is mm. in the middle. Worst nightmare in her mind mm-hmm. coming true. Um, mm. But what does Jesus say to her in verse 48? Mm. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What kind of language is this? Mm. You call her daughter? That is the most endearing, you know, like if I call, you know, if I if I talk to my daughter, I'm like, sweetie, love. I mean, it's just like for someone who's unclean, who hasn't been called by an affectionate name in a long time. Mm. And he just says, daughter, your mm. faith has made you well. Go in peace. So it's so, what an incredible you know, she's exposed, she's afraid, and he just leads with daughter. Mm. I mean, can mm. you imagine the eye contact that this woman had with Jesus Christ? No. And how he just looks deep into who she is. Mm-hmm. Says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Made you well is sozo in the Greek. It's, it's the saved word. Your faith has saved you. Mm. So he gives her something way more than she came for. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, so let's, let's just look at the motive of the Lord. Why now would he make her go public? Like, mm. why did he do it this way? I think that as she's being looked at by all the people, and she's been unclean for so long, that as Jesus looks at her, all of that falls off of her in love because of what Christ has done for her. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think Jesus wants to take her through that. Yes, good. What did she come for? Physical. She came for physical healing. Okay, mm-hmm. what did she leave with? Both physical and spiritual healing. Yes. Eternal life. Yes. Yeah. She left not only healed, but known and accepted yeah. and publicly vindicated mm-hmm. in front of all society mm-hmm. and having a moment with the Lord Jesus Christ where I, you know what? I don't know for sure, but I bet everything that I have that she had a lifelong love for and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. And really you look at every single one of us has a desire to be known yep. by God and a desire to be loved by him, but yep. only God that's only capable of God's offering that to us. Mm-hmm. And she sees for the first time that he is yeah, yep. such a yep. gift. Yep, he knows her all the way, and he loves her all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keller says, uh, Jesus gave her more than she came for. And I think that's a simple way of saying wow. it. So, so what wisdom to know how to care for people, right? To, to not just solve the, what they think is their biggest problem, but to, to solve their bigger problem, to heal their deeper wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're and still, Willie, yeah. Willie, just to say a phrase I've heard you say before, this is another example of when— we see in Jesus's life, he was always on mission, but never in a hurry. Mm. And it's so easy in our day and age, especially in America to just get busy and be in a hurry. And man, if anyone had anywhere to be, he had, he needed to go heal that little girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> but 
he stayed on mission and he's never in a hurry. He always has time for people, which is encouraging. Yes. Even the least of the people. Even the yeah. least. Yeah. Exactly. And, and maybe even especially the least. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well said. Okay, so here we are, and Jairus is still a part of the story, right? He's still trying mm-hmm. to get home. And in verse 49, we're brought back to kind of that thread in the story. And what does verse 49 say? The worst nightmare of Jairus has come true while they were speaking. Someone from the ruler's house came up and said, your daughter has dead. You don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. Mm. Man. All right. So now let's, okay, we're going from the jubilation of being in her shoes. Now let's go to the heartache of being in his shoes. Mm. What starts flooding through his mind? In my sin, I like to blame, you know? And so I think immediately I would like be blaming the woman. I'd be blaming Jesus Yep. You know, like, all the people. Yeah. Like in my sin, I just, that's something I'm bent towards and I could see how he would go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you just, you've got to imagine all the what ifs start flooding through his head. Mm-hmm. You know, what is his only did? daughter? Yeah. His only daughter. Mm-hmm. Just a nightmare scenario. Um, but as, as probably all the lies and all the doubts and all the agony is starting to set in, how does Jesus respond to him in verse 50? He said, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Okay, so let, let's. one of the things I just love about this passage, we've, we've seen it already with the woman. We're seeing it now with Jairus. We're going to see it with Jairus' daughter. Jesus talks to each person how they need it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I just imagine him making firm eye contact with Jairus and almost commanding him, don't mm-hmm. fear, believe, trust me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make like, her well. It's you, like, you lock in on me. Yeah, it's like he grabbed both sides of his face and just looked at him like right here, right here. Mm-hmm. Like a football yeah. coach just says, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Do not fear, yeah. only believe, and she will be made well. Jesus isn't panicked. He's not, is he? <laughs> he never panics. Oh, it's the best. Isn't he the best? I mean, he's the best. <laughs> we're wrecks. I mean, okay. he's got it under control. He does. Yeah. Okay. So he, he takes Peter, James, and John with him in verse 51. It's always a teaching moment for him. And he goes with the, the father and now the mother of the child is also introduced. And when they get to the, to the house, what do they find? Verse 52. Everybody's crying, weeping, already mourning her death. Yeah. Um, and how does Jesus address that situation? So he steps into it. He steps into almost just the beginning of the grief, the beginning of the funeral procession. He steps up, and he probably says in a loud voice, because everyone's crying, and gets everyone's attention. And he says, don't weep. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And... They just laugh at him. Yeah. And what, what kind of laughter do you think it is? It's probably a mocking laugh. Yeah. yeah. Like sarcastic. Like who are, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. She's dead. We know she's dead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a mocking, arrogant, who is this idiot? Mm-hmm. You know, get mm-hmm. out of here. Um, so we know from Mark's gospel, he, he then just takes Peter, James, and John with the mom and dad, and they go into a room just them. And what happens at the bedside, verse 54? Or actually, first, before we get there. Now, let's just put ourselves in that room. So Peter, James, John, mom and dad 
of the girl they love and Jesus. What are the mom? Mm. And, what are the mom and dad thinking and feeling in this moment? I can't believe she's died. Um, thanks that these guys came to pay their respects, but this is the one thing our biggest nightmare has come true, and she's dead. Yeah, perhaps, maybe, maybe there's 1% of their heart and brain still hoping. Who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're hoping for a miracle. Man, and can't you just imagine, like, time freezing in that room? Yeah. And they're looking at Jesus, and he's about to address their little girl, what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. just on on complete edge of like, what what is this? And yeah, so, you what, probably st- you probably can still hear the crying from the room over from the relatives, right? Yeah, it's probably just a horrifically sad scene. Yeah, and then what does Jesus do? He goes over he, and takes her by the hand, and he says, "Child." Arise. That's all he does. It's it's cool too because in Mark's account, he uses like a little nickname, like a little pet name, like little girl, sweetheart. Mm. And, and it's like he's saying to this little girl, sweetheart, it's it's time for you to get up. Mm-hmm. You can wake up now. Mm-hmm. And what happens in the first part of fifty five? Her spirit returns, and she gets up. Immediately. Yes. And and, uh, I mean, I love the first part of verse 56. It's like the biggest understatement in the whole Bible. What does the first part of 56 say? (laughs) They were amazed. Yeah. no parents were amazed. (laughs) You don't say. Yeah. Hey, hey, we do highlights and tough parts at our dinner table every night. Can you imagine the highlight and tough part of their day? Oh, my gosh. You're not kidding. Wow. What a day. What a day. The biggest low of their life to the biggest high of their life in Correct. minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus gives this practical advice. Just give her something to eat. You know, mm-hmm. he uses human means and yep. then he charges them to tell no one what had happened. So what's that all about? Why, why in that moment is he saying, hey, don't tell anyone? Yeah, yeah I was going to ask that. It's a pattern that he gets into throughout each of the Gospels. And I think the idea is that as he starts doing miracles, because there were such expectations in first century Israel about what the Messiah was to be, he knew that if people really had a grasp on all that he was doing, they would try to make him king prematurely, mm-hmm. right? We see that at the end of, or in the middle of John chapter 6, after he feeds the 5,000. And Jesus knows he can't do that because he's he's not come to be an earthly king. He's come to die for our sins. Wow. And so mm. he doesn't want the word to get out so widespread so that people try to manipulate his role. He knows he's got a cross to die on before he can reign as king. Mm. That's the first mm. time I've ever really known what that's meant, and it actually makes me praise him for saying mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. I mean, boys, let's just pause on 56 for a second. How hard would that be? I mean— I'd run through the entire city of Charlotte that night and tell, I'd knock on every door and be like, guess what happened to me today? <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> I mean, hey, put look it on at all her, social look at media. Her. Yeah. Honey, oh, sing! Dude, sing for Seriously, him. I would get an Instagram account so fast. <laughs> oh, look at this! Oh, man. 
oh man, maybe TikTok's not too bad. You know, <laughs> send that out. Um, wow. Just wow. amazing. Um, okay, but think about this. Just like it was true for the woman, mm-hmm. our board Jairus got more than he bargained for. He mm-hmm. thought he was going to Jesus for a healing, not a resurrection. Mm-hmm. But because Jesus delayed, even when it made no sense to Jairus, Jairus and his family experienced more from Jesus than they ever imagined. No mm-hmm. doubt their lifelong faith and allegiance to him were stronger because Jesus let it happen this way. And so mm-hmm. even with Jairus, the Lord knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a fascinating afternoon in the life of Jesus. Um, and, and again, we see him just treat that little girl as she is, like a sweet little girl. So he talks mm-hmm. to each of them so different. But um, as we've done each uh, kind of each time we've hopped on the podcast, we've asked, all right, if Jesus shows us what God is like, what does he show us about God? So how would we start to answer that question from this passage? Mm. One of my thoughts is, you know, as limited human beings we are, so often I feel like we want to understand the things of God and understand all of them, and maybe with good intention, but we just can't. And so when God is doing something in our life, we want to understand the beginning, the middle, the end. You know, we want it to look neat and pretty so we can understand everything, but we just can't. We don't, you know, Jairus in that moment is probably like questioning Jesus, even maybe questioning his character. Why is he stopping? My daughter's about to die. And so it just gives me encouragement. Like Jesus, not only is he sovereign, but there's 100% of the time what he's doing is for my good. Hmm. And I have to take stories like this and trust in his timing um, because I don't know everything and he does. Mm-hmm. I think one of the old guys, I think it was Charles Spurgeon says, when I can't, when I cannot trace his hand, I've learned mm. to trust his heart. That's right. And I, I think so good. that phrase, we need that phrase when suffering knocks at our door. Totally. Yeah. That's great. For me, I, I think it's just amazing that whenever I'm praying for big things, in my life, rarely ever does God act in a way that I think he's going to. Mm. It always, I always encounter him and experience him in a more profound, deeper um, way where I get more of him because mm-hmm. I see him with more wisdom and more perspective and um mm-hmm than I could ever have imagined. So you, you think about Ephesians 3.20, that God will do infinitely more than you could dream to dare ask, think, or hope for his glory. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like God takes you through these things in a way to give you the greatest gift he could give you, which is more of him. Yeah. That's right. Well said. What do you think this teaches us about uh, favoritism? Like how does, mm. what does God prioritize? How does he view people? What can we, what, you know, real observations can we take from this passage? Mm-hmm. I mean, he he cares for the least of these. He cares for those that no one else seems to care about. Um, and there's no, you know, resume or qualification to be able to be cared for by Jesus. Yeah. Um, often those overlooked are the ones that he's looking at the most. Totally. And I think this is just helpful for the listener. If you feel like you're unnoticed by God or forgotten by God or not important, this passage shows you God, he cares, he sees you. Um, and on the flip side, if you think, man, I've kind of got my life set up, you know, and I've got, 
a place in society and I've accomplished this or I've done that. This passage shows us we've got to come to Christ the same way everybody else does, humbly, desperately needing him. Mm -hmm. And so it just levels the playing field Mm -hmm. in in a helpful way, um, in a humbling way, in an encouraging way. Uh, I think we see here, too, Jesus is drawn to faith, right? How Mm -hmm. How do we see that here? I mean, both people, Jairus and the woman, um, show faith. Um, Jairus, in the way that he falls before Jesus, putting faith as, you're my last hope. And the woman also, um, on the most desperate time of her life, you know, is, is by faith going into that crowd, by faith touching at his robe. So they're both experiencing, uh, you know, exercising great faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another little helpful phrase to kind of put in your tool belt. Uh, The Lord honors faith because faith honors the Lord. You know, Mm -hmm. so the Lord is drawn to it. He Mm -hmm. loves it. He's attracted Mm -hmm. to faith. Mm -hmm. Um, We see. I want to backtracking about thirty seconds. Perhaps when James in James chapter two talking about the sin of partiality, perhaps this was one of many stories that caused him to write that chapter that he saw his Lord. Uh, taking his time with people who, you know, didn't have anything to offer. Mm. I mean, you just, you never know kind of what goes into these guys' letters or the totality of it. But man, he, he learned from the best and this is his encouragement to us. Totally. And what's crazy about that too, just shooting from the hip is James who wrote the book of James is the brother of the Lord, right? Oh, right. The half brother of the Lord. And he's saying, Hey, don't show partiality. You know, I ain't important. And even Jude, another brother of the Lord who wrote the book of Jude, says, a servant of Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James. He's just saying that. And how does James start start his book? How does he qualify himself? He says, James, a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not not saying, I'm a... Hey, I'm his bro. Dude, he goes, no, 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 I'm a slave. What would you be saying? I'd be like, Let's go. That's my bro. Let's go. Yeah, I would wear that credential around my neck. Dude, yeah, everywhere. You know it. Oh gosh, our only hope is faith in Christ. You know, that's right. Um, yeah, I think we see here his timing is not our timing, um, but his timing is best. He does what's best for each of us in every situation. I even. I want to tread carefully saying that because I'm sure some people listen have been through very difficult things. Um, this doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to be righted even soon. It does mean that everything for the Christian is going to be righted one day. And mm-hmm. these guys got to see things fixed pretty quickly for them. Um, we don't always, but the Lord promises that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who've been called according to his purpose. And, um, you can go to the bank on that, even if it mm-hmm. seems like you're, you know, the story hadn't been finished yet. Um, okay, who do you boys relate to in the story? Any kind of places that you're like, man, this is, I, I was convicted here. I was helped there. Mm. Any, anybody you just kind of see yourself in? I mean, I resonate with the woman, you know, in a convicting way, wanting the benefits of the Lord, but hiding also, um, you know, from people just asking God for things, which is great, but often afraid to speak of his goodness uh, with those I'm around. So just encourage. I mean, he, you know, she ended up telling everyone around, you know, what she had done. And, um, and so I just it encourages me to not hide 
um, but glory and be bold in what Jesus has done for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I, I think Jairus is just such a great example, you know, um, that the best way to come to Jesus is just to fall. Mm -hmm. You know, like, don't leave anything back. Cast all your hope, everything on him. That's the best place to be, is to mm -hmm. do that in faith. Um, so often, I don't lead with that example, and I, I, I come partially, kind of like you're saying, Webb. And, and it's just a great reminder that the best place to be is, is really falling at Jesus' feet completely. Because without him, I literally have no hope whatsoever. He's solved my That's greatest right. problem. He's, he's conquered the, the biggest enemy in my life, sin, um, through his death on the cross. And so um, he's worthy of all my trust. Mm -hmm. Love it. Mm. Well, um, these guys provide an awesome example for us. I think cool kind of final thought for me is that because Jesus did things the way he did them, I think they went home probably more aware of Jesus than they were of the gifts that he gave. And it just shows mm. the wisdom of the Lord. You mm. know, like the woman left as a daughter, the man left having watched Jesus resurrect his own little girl in front of him. I bet just for the, all their days, they were enthralled with, with Christ. And that's what, that's what I want from my own heart. You know, I need mm -hmm. God, God to do that in me. Mm -hmm. Any final word to you guys? No, I, Matthew 11 came to mind. I just want to read it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Weber, if you're going to tell a listener quickly, how do you even come to Jesus? Like, how do you do that? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes it super simple. You confess with your mouth that you believe that Jesus did what he did for you on the cross, that he does and will take your sins away, that he paid for your sins. Um, and just pray, Lord, I want to know you. Uh, I am seeing you in the scripture and um, I want to have a relationship with you. And that's what we see here is over and over and over. Jesus doesn't just uh, do all these things for people and we never hear from him again. He wants relationships with these people. Um, so yeah, just be honest in your prayer Ask God to give you wisdom, um, and He will. He is faithful. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have any questions for us, uh, please email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com, B-I-B-L-E-C-A-D-D-I-E at gmail.com. And until next time, you get in the Bible and let the Bible get into you. Oh, oh.